0: This podcast is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Aspirus.co, A-S-P-I-R-U-S Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode I speak to Kate Cadell, editor-in-chief from Technote on the Baidu Group, China's largest search engine and maps. Kate will discuss the team led by Robin Lee, their business structures and current strategies behind Baidu that include their alliances with Facebook and Uber from the West and investments into O2O service. We also discuss the ongoing story where Baidu is investigated by the Chinese authorities on their medical advertisements. Hi Kate.
1: Hi, how are you, Bernard?
0: I'm well. And where are you based in now?
1: Oh, I'm based in Beijing. At TechNode, we have two offices. So I'm based in the Beijing office.
0: Yes. And I'm talking to Kate Cadell, Editor-in-Chief and Writer with TechNote and TechCrunch China, right?
1: Yeah. So I'm the Editor-in-Chief of the TechNode English blog. So we work with TechCrunch. Obviously, we do the TechCrunch events in China. But from an editorial point of view, we just manage the technode.com website and blog.
0: And probably the most well read and everybody's most important media blog in China covering tech news. And the reason why <laughs> I got you here is also through one of your colleagues, Eva, who have told me that if I want to know anything about BAT, I must talk to Kate Goodell so we, we have <laughs> that's a, very
1: very interesting. <laughs> yes
0: of course before that we, i want to get to know you better how do you get started in tech reporting
1: well i actually started I'm, I'm australian i'm not you can probably tell that from my accent i started out actually doing energy reporting which is very as far as you can sort of get from technology reporting so i, mean, I was always interested in technology and science and I, I studied that a bit at university as well as journalism but in australia the tech scene especially when i was studying was not, not that vital so i actually ended up moving to mongolia for for almost a year to cover the iron ore market in Mongolia. (laughs) And then after that, I I went to Myanmar to, uh, well, I assumed I would be covering the same sort of of stuff, offshore oil and things like this. But as it turned out, it was just after the opening up of Myanmar politically. And as it turned out, the technology and media and telecommunications industry was much more interesting. So I kind of made the skip around then. And then after that, I actually joined for a very short time. I joined a startup in Myanmar, or it was a a Myanmar-based startup that also ran out of Singapore and Ho Chi Minh's So that was kind of my big education in in how small-scale startups or startups looking to scale actually work on the inside. And after that, I was uh, sort of hooked. Once I moved to China, obviously, technology is kind of the big kind of emerging change story in China at the moment. And I think it just really fascinated me. So I decided to stick with technology angle. And I guess that's how I started with TechNode. So I've actually been with them for about 18 months, maybe a bit closer to two years. I guess Mm. the rest is history.
0: (laughs) So what are your areas of coverage in TechNode then?
1: Well, I'm the chief editor, so I'm, I'm really lucky that I get to cover a little bit of everything from, you know, autos to consumer technology and, you know, all the fun stuff. But I guess what makes up the most part of my coverage beat would definitely be the BAT ecosystem, that Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent ecosystem. So that includes obviously those companies, but also also all the other little parts of their habitat. So startups and best funds and content and, and everything they sort of do in the market.
0: From your experience from Mongolia to Myanmar and then to China, what are the kind of interesting things you have learned so far?
1: Well, I can definitively say that China is the toughest market to crack when it comes to understanding. I mean, you, you would think that a place some, somewhere like Myanmar, which was closed off to the foreign world essentially for 50 years, would be hard to understand. But uh, trust you me, like Chinese China is, is such a difficult, such an intricate culture and so complicated and difficult to and even technology which which compared to say energy or compared to traditional industries is comparatively easy to kind of tap into in a lot of ways it's much it's much more public industry the industry is still so heavily imbued with Chinese culture and I think that's why people have a lot of trouble understanding even some of these big companies like Alibaba and Baidu that are listed in the US yeah that would be my takeaway
0: and that's the part where I have to get you to come here to talk about one of the BATs which is Baidu so before I think there's Some big news that happened to Baidu today, but we're going to talk about it later in in the conversation. So just to have a very quick introduction to Baidu, it was started in 2000 by Robin Lee. who's a creator of the visionary search technological hyperlink analysis. In fact, if you have read Stephen Levy's in the Plex book, there are actually three people who actually did the search algorithm and two out of the three have made it. The first was the two founders of Google, Sergey Brin and Larry Page. The other one was Robin Lee. And the third guy was became an academic. So Baidu is now listed on Nasdaq with a market cap of $64.3 billion with over 46,000 employees worldwide. Annual revenue is about... billion rmb with US 10.2 billion and probably with about 71% of market share of mobile and web based on reports by analysis. And just to give a very short comparison to Google, with a, with a market capitalization of $477.4 billion, which is about eight times the size of Baidu. And there was some very, very interesting data this year. But before I go on with numbers, but maybe okay, tell me a little bit, what's the vision and mission for Baidu?
1: Well, I mean, Baidu's core product is their search. I guess, you know, in terms of their vision and mission, I guess that's something I, I'm sure they have a formal vision and mission. But I, I guess in terms of what Baidu's trying to do it's very it's changed a lot since they started so if you look at Baidu now even versus a couple of years ago you know I think when when we first met Baidu the people made the comparison calling Baidu you know the Chinese Google or the Chinese search engine I think now people view Baidu much more as an internet company so I think they've become a lot more diversified so I guess their mission is also a lot more diversified.
0: From their website is that they they call themselves a technology-based media company and tries to look for the best and most equitable way for people to find out what they're looking for. When we talk about Baidu, we always think about Robin Lee, who is the founder, who is the visionary that drives the mission of the company. My question is, who are the other key executives on the Baidu management team?
1: Yeah, so Baidu has like a fairly diverse management team. Sort of, And in, in considering the age of the company, it's kind of understandable that they, they hail from a lot of US companies as well, eBay, GM and, and the like. So one of the main figures that I guess you come across, especially when you're reporting on Baidu a lot, is Jennifer Lee, their CFO. So I mean, obviously she's a very fairly competent CFO. She's, she's kind of overseen the, the move that Baidu has taken from desktop search based model into a more diversified company. So her role is obviously very, very important in terms of the board. There's a few interesting figures on there. There's a uh, Greg Penner, who I believe is, is still the chairman of Walmart and he's actually been with, um, Baidu for a very, very long time. Can't, uh, actually remember how long, but it's quite a long time. And also interestingly, at the end of last year, Brent Kalinokas, I believe I'm Kalin- Kalinikas, <laughs> I'm not very good with names, hailing from Uber Technologies, which obviously Baidu is the the main, Uber's main entry partner in China. So that obviously makes a bit of sense. Yeah, I guess in terms of the rest of the management team, it's a really interesting mix of people who have worked both in China and abroad. And yeah, and obviously Robin Lee is a superstar figure in there, having worked both overseas and, and back in China, very well known. Of course, you know, in the communications department, there's former rock star Kaiser Kor, who actually, I think he just retired this past week. He did just retire this past week from Baidu and has just moved back to the US. So so I guess they'll be looking for a new communications person. But I guess those are kind of the my handful of the main figures in the Baidu management on their board.
0: I think on the board directors, there's also Yang Yuanqing, who is the CEO of Lenovo, right? Yes. What are the key products that actually drives the business of Baidu today? as compared to many years ago as a, just a normal search engine?
1: Well, actually, in terms of their profitability, and I, and I won't throw out actual figures in case I get this wrong, but in terms of their actual profitability, I, I think online advertising revenue is still really a huge, huge driver in what Baidu makes money in. though so what's been the big change is the introduction of mobile. So whereas ad revenue, it was 100% desktop at one point, it's uh, the split is now, I think, two-thirds mobile versus one-third PC and desktop. So I guess that's the big change. And it's really, I mean, that's that's one of the big reasons why Baidu has had to kind of morph into an essentially, you know, a very different company in the last couple of years, because mobile revenue from advertising, you know, mobile ads typically cost less. So while the massive increase in the number of mobile users has happened over the last few years, those ads are also costing less, which is a big driver for Baidu to diversify their business. So, I mean, they also have uh, lots of products in, uh, obviously their maps and their travel products are, are very big and they kind of, Lead the way in the mapping technology. They also have lots of content investments, Baidu Music, which I believe merged with Taihe Entertainment. So those are the sort of products which are, I guess, the sort of equivalent of Apple Music in China. I mean, that's that's the kind of content relationship that they're trying to imitate, or well, not imitate, but that's the kind of model they're going after. And they also have, obviously, in the last couple of years, Baidu's made some really seriously big bets on on-demand technology, and you know they've also invested a fair bit of money in Uber as well, and these on-demand technologies. The expression that their CFO literally used is that they've doubled down on those investments. But but in terms of in terms of revenue on the on-demand side, it's still virtually non-existent. I, I can't. remember remember exactly from this quarter, but I know fairly recently, the figure was that, you know, Baidu's on-demand services had a very low penetration service in the low single digit, if that makes sense.
0: I thought I should just put some numbers down so that help to drive the conversation. So I was looking at the q one mm-hmm. 2016 report. I think they now have basically 663 million mobile search monthly active users, which was about 9% yeah. year-on-year growth. The mobile maps monthly active users I thought was interesting was 321 million, which is 19% mm-hmm. year-on-year growth and the gross merchandise value for transactional service, meaning that people transact through the Baidu search engine or through all the other auxiliary service gives a total value of RMB of 16 billion, which is approximately about 2.5 billion US dollars and of course 65 million accounts through the Baidu wallet. I think you put a very good point on that their mobile and their web search has been split into two-thirds, one-thirds. Is this still being very driven by their search business or does the other core businesses actually start to be very significant in the revenue because I think in maps and travel, I think they acquired tuna.com, right?
1: Yeah, so of mm. course, tuna is one of their big money making assets. That's a company which. Which obviously has like, is already, has a revenue already in the pipeline. I think it's the other services, like obviously they've committed, I think $3 billion to Normie, the big on demand bet, which, you know, obviously hasn't seen return yet and probably won't see return for, I, I believe the CFO has said recently that probably won't see return for three to five years. So those are the kind of big bets. And it's also worth noting that in these most recent results, while Baidu's total revenue was up, you know, their profits, their overall profits are actually down and, and down for you know, nearly, I think, the seventh quarter in the row or something like this. So uh, it's worth noting that while while they're seeing some really big increases, they're also doubling down a lot on their investments across the board, um, whether that's on demand or whether that's their autonomous car services and all this sort of thing. Baidu's big bent at the moment is is really about staking out an early market share in some of these really important verticals in the industry. So, so I mean, yeah, I think, guess the main takeaway is that they're not afraid to spend a lot of money right now at the expense of their profit margin.
0: So you would say that they're currently in what I call an investment mode and also diversification out of their traditional call search businesses, basically.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And what also, you know, the other thing they're doing, and I and I know that they don't use this term in their English messaging, but an air, they're also working on an aircraft carrier program, which is, is essentially where they take a lot of their smaller businesses and they bring them up to investment from other companies. That's something they've been doing as well, is you know, inviting other companies to invest in some of their projects so that they can use their core funds to really back some of these big forward-looking bets like on-demand services and like autonomous cars.
0: Unlike Alibaba and Tencent, Baidu has a research lab in Silicon Valley is run by of course Andrew Ng who's very well known as the founder of Coursera and he has done work for Google X. So what's the thinking behind that then?
1: Well I, I mean the, you're referring to the AI lab right? Yes, that's um, right? When it comes to comparing them to Alibaba and Tencent in that respect I think it's more about the nature of the technology that they're looking into. So Baidu obviously as a search engine giant has a a lot of um, vested interest in data, and, and obviously, AI is an extension of that artificial intelligence. So, the kind of technology they're working on in that lab, you know, from speech recognition and things like that, it's more about just being within the Silicon Valley ecosystem and being able to attract the human capital that that brings. Whereas, like, for Alibaba, obviously, more and more an internationally focused company, they don't really quite rely on the same human capital for technology that AI requires. So, you know, Alibaba does have an office in Silicon Valley and they do actually, they did actually open their own data centers. So I guess that's the sort of Alibaba equivalent of what they need in the U.S. Whereas like what Baidu needs in the U.S. is the human capital to drive that project. Well, very recently announced they're they opening an office for their autonomous car project there as well, which is once again, another example of the kind of technology where you really need to be close to that Silicon Valley market in That's Silicon Valley human capital.
0: So half a year ago, I actually interviewed Andrew Ng on this show, and he was talking about how the research lab actually helps to generate revenues for the key products in Baidu's business itself. And the interesting part question I also have is that why do they enter into self-driving cars starting from Silicon Valley and not doing it in China first? Given that the, um, recently the founder of Le TV has actually launched his Faraday car in China?
1: Well, I mean, the, the goals between Le Eco and, and Baidu, well, I, I, while they're both moving towards autonomous cars, I think Le Eco's aims are a little bit more diversified. They're really much more focused on their connected ecosystem, and that definitely makes sense to be working on that in China. I think for Baidu I mean we heard Robin Lee talk about this in the most recent earnings he he pretty much said we're we're going to go all out on this on the development of this autonomous car and we're going to think about the business model later so really w- what Baidu is doing right now is really intensive research and development R&D so I guess it definitely makes sense for them to be working in Silicon Valley Um, Like I mentioned before, you know this. This is just a place where that that sort of technology is strong, and obviously, Leeco also has operations in the U.S. Research and development operations operations in the US. But it's also worth noting that they have done significant part of their testing Baidu has in China. So their autonomous cars have already been, their modified BMWs have already been tested pretty extensively on the outskirts of Beijing before. I don't believe they've tested them in the US yet. I think that's on the cards for this year. I think much like Leeco, it will be kind of like a cross-border treatment, like a cross-border development research and development process. But when it comes to developing cars and attracting yeah, once again, attracting that human capital, you need to really create a good product. It just makes 100% sense to have a re- research lab in the US and to be running those tests in the US.
0: So recently uh, for the Baidu takeout delivery, which is actually something that's very similar to food delivery service, has actually raised a funding round with valuation of 2.5 billion, which means they actually spin it out. What is this service and how does Baidu actually grow a new service within their product offerings itself
1: then? Yeah, so this is obviously once again, part of Baidu's big bet on on-demand services. And, and anyone who lives in China will have seen a lot more Baidu takeout or Baidu Waimai as it's called here. Baidu Waimai delivery motorbikes around. So they're really just ramping up their marketing following the spin off and and trying to really get that out to consumers but i mean you know it's it's worth noticing that competing services like eremei have you know if Baidu Waimei has a valuation of 2.5 billion you know that's what eremei has raised then we'd have bigger services back by 10 cent and previously alibaba like um me Tuan Damping, who you know have raised three billion in a single round so it's a service that's definitely growing and it's definitely existing in the market but uh, it's just such a tight industry at the moment and all of these companies are going through this period of massive cash burn where they're subsidizing these services a lot i guess it's it's hard to tell whether you know these services will exist side by side or or whether you know we'll eventually have a a system where it'll we'll just have an intense round of mergers and acquisitions Mm. That will see the end of a few of these companies, but but yeah, it's it's worth noting that their rivals from Alibaba and Tencent are much
0: much better funded. I'm just very curious, like for example, how would uh, Baidu Takeout works for a consumer? So do they actually access through their search engines, or is actually a separate app by itself? It's a it's a separate
1: app. You can use it separately. I mean, I'm I'm sure that they integrate data and services from the search thing, but it, it works independently. So
0: Baidu is actually more friendlier to US Western companies coming into China and by that I'm saying for example two companies one is Facebook I think he has extensive relationship with Mark Zuckerberg and the other one was with Uber because he put a lot of money into investing in Uber and also recently through most of the reports in fact I think one of Baidu's core strength with Facebook is actually helping them to sell ads for Chinese companies going overseas. How do these friendships be- with Western companies such as Facebook and Uber translate into business opportunities for both Baidu and their Western allies then?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, like in terms of that question, like you said, obviously that's a really important relationship for Facebook and also a good relationship for Baidu to have, obviously, as well. When it comes to Facebook's operation, I mean, I guess, considering they're banned here on the consumer side, they're very much an enterprise-focused company. So, I think it's probably just less about friendliness in general and more about just a, a kind of very good synergy between those two companies. And in terms of Uber, like, you know, quite similar to the on-demand service, these three big companies, Baidu and Alibaba and Tencent, they all have their big bets in these core areas like food delivery and ride hailing is another one. I'm not sure if you, I'm sure your listeners maybe have probably at least even heard of these two companies, but D-D- Alibaba Y-D-D- backed quite DD, yeah, Tencent backed DD. They, they merged, merged into, merged into one in 2015, creating a company that, that, takes you know up to 80% of the, that ride hailing market and is Uber's biggest competitor in the market so i just think i mean obviously they they missed the plate when it came to funding Uh, ride hailing services earlier on. And I think this is just their their way of being in in that market. So I think it's less, once again, less about just general friendliness to Western companies, more about just being able to stake out that claim in, in the market where they perhaps didn't have the capacity to do it themselves. I mean, obviously, even though Uber has such formidable competition in this market, they're also a very nimble company on the ground. They have like a very well-funded local apparatus here, a local Chinese arm. So I guess from Baidu's perspective, it, it makes sense if they're going to be competitive in that area to link up with the second biggest competitor in the country. Obviously, for Uber, this has been a really important relationship because Google mapping services are not really available in China and Baidu obviously has a wealth of mapping information And traffic information, which is at Uber's disposal. So that's obviously been very beneficial for them.
0: Which is actually very interesting for Western companies because, in the early days, a lot of Western companies coming to China usually get kicked by the Chinese local counterparts. So, with this kind of Relationship with the Western companies does Baidu actually offer kind of an entry point for Western companies to go into China? There,
1: yeah, for sure. I mean, having them on as a strategic partner, and Baidu, you know, maintains a very good relationship with the government, obviously, because they're required to. It's obviously they're a very useful partner to have. But I mean, Uber is it's kind of a a new breed of uh, foreign company trying to enter China. You know, compared to companies in the past that have kind of just tried to sort of force their way into the market. These are companies like LinkedIn who have like. Airbnb, who have, instead of opening an arm in China that is run remotely from headquarters in the US, they open uh, separately operated, separate entities. So, for example, it's Uber China, not Uber. And they raise separate funding for those entities and those entities are, are managed almost wholly in China. So I think it's a new type of entry mode for these sort of Western companies. They're very, very locally run, very locally focused and and they seek funding locally as well.
0: That comes to my next question then. Because of the BAT, it's, it appears that Baidu is the weakest among the three because it doesn't own e-commerce and payments like Alibaba with M Financials, aka Alipay. Or with social mm-hmm. and payments like Tencent with WeChat, is that the perception, or is it just perception, or are they really the biggest yeah. among the three? Yeah,
1: I, Baidu kind of unfortunately gets a bit of a bad rap sometimes, and it's this you know sometimes people will say instead of BAT, B and A and T, mm-hmm. you know, kind of separate them out. But I, I think it's worth noting that you know while these companies are kind of compatible in size in terms of annual revenue, it's Baidu's at about ten billion, Tencent at about eighteen, and and AliPay's around thirteen. Uh, Alibaba is around 13 billion US. I, I think while they're compatible in size, I think what people forget is that they're just vastly, vastly different companies. Besides, you know, being internet giants is really the only thing they have in common when it comes to their, you know, original products and things like that. So, And and one of the big indicators of that is, you know, Baidu is a company that IPO'd 10 years before Alibaba, which just goes to show that they, they reached their peak in in what they really specialized in, which was desktop search. They reach their peak much, much earlier. And so they're kind of facing this complex situation at the moment, which Alibaba and Tencent aren't. They're trying to transition from a service that is essentially, that is becoming increasingly obsolete in terms of total dollars. So desktop search, I mean. Whereas, you know, Tencent founded on gaming is obviously still a very strong industry. Alibaba founded on e-commerce, obviously still a very, very strong industry. I mean, I don't think that means that Baidu is not competitive. And I don't think, and obviously, the, it's it's also worth noting that there are, are other search companies in China, you know, it's not, it's, Baidu doesn't hold the whole market, but they've definitely been the most aggressive when it comes to investing and diversifying their business. While they might be facing a bit of a tougher challenge than other companies, they've been aggressive investors. And really, they've, they've taken, I guess, what investors have looked at as, as kind of, big risks, you know, investing in projects without a clear end date, investing in projects where they haven't been able to set a definitive time when they'll be able to see return, you know, and investing in projects where they haven't really nailed down that final business model like artificial intelligence. But in terms of payments, yeah, I mean, they, they're they behind Tencent and Alipay, um, Alibaba, but you no, know, they have their own body wallet, and they've also partnered up with Citic Bank to do online banking. I mean, they're they're behind, but they're not. It's not as if they don't exist in the finance space. You know, they have their insurance arm and things like that. So they have been good at picking their strengths and doubling down on investment in those areas. But yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a weakness that they don't have those things. But I wouldn't say it's it means that they're not competitive.
0: And this comes to the news of the day. There is an article that you filed today, which talks about a student's death that actually prompts investigation into Baidu's medical ads. Can you briefly talk about what actually happened? I think it actually got their stock prices plummeted by over 7% after the Cyberspace Administration of China announced that they're going to assemble a team to probe the company's practices.
1: Yeah, so so yeah, you pretty much just said it. I mean, yeah, what's happened is that one of China's top internet regulatory bodies or or The top internet regulatory body has ordered an investigation of Baidu over their promotion of medical ads on their platforms, and not just their search platform, but also their related platforms, and this is a really interesting issue. It came to light recently over a civilian internet case, which is kind of interesting. Essentially, this poor 20-year-old kid who is uh, suffering from a, a rare form of cancer, lashed out at Baidu online because he believed that Baidu's promotion of a hospital had led him to try a treatment that was ineffective from a doctor that he he claims told him several lies about the product. Essentially, just what he described to be a very shoddy medical institution that he said he he believed that because Baidu was at fault in a way because of their promotion Of this medical institution because obviously Baidu had a deal with them when it came to advertising. And unfortunately he died on the on April twelfth. I think this is a really interesting case because it's something that's been essentially fueled by netizen outrage online, which has led to something much larger, this investigation from the regulatory body. And like you said, this is something that's caused Baidu's stock price to plummet by over seven percent. And the reason I mean, like of the reason for that is because Baidu actually makes a really significant portion of their ad revenue from medical advertisements. I think notably a couple of years ago, one of Baidu's main competitors, Chihu360, CEO Joe Hongyi actually lashed out at Baidu, claiming that Baidu makes at least 30% of their online ad revenue from shoddy medical advertisements. So, I mean, that, that's just the kind of the context and the background and what's sort of going on in, in the, actually, Baidu went through a similar case earlier this year where they came under fire for selling a, a message board, a public message board, run off one of their consumer knowledge platforms called Teaba and they'd actually sold the platform to a hospital to a Shaanxi hospital, a private hospital, who obviously promoted some of their own products and things. And that was once again, another instance where a private netizen bought this up and wrote a personal essay about, in some ways, I guess, uh, we've had a lot of feedback on this today. A lot of people say, you know, why is it Baidu's fault to do due diligence on these companies? But I think one of the things to kind of understand in China is that a lot of hospitals, both public hospitals and private hospitals run very much like independent businesses. They run their own marketing campaigns. They don't quite often don't appear to have, you know, standardization across public hospitals and things like this. So I think there's a lot of public trust issues when it comes to Chinese medical systems. I can definitely see how netizens would become fired up when a service like Baidu, which citizens become very reliant on in this kind of ecosystem, appears to fail them. Yeah, an interesting, really interesting case. It's this is, you know, something that this citizen led online revolt against Baidu has actually Led to an investigation of the company and severely affected their stock prices.
0: So, and this will be a continuing story. And then, um, and I think Baidu has also issued a public response to the actual incident. Yeah,
1: so um, Baidu came out and said, uh, yeah, a fairly standard response, sort of saying that, you know, they, they definitely support this family of this unfortunate young guy who young computer science student who died, and they support him through legal channels, but they've also submitted a notice of some sort with the hospital to try and straighten out what happened and make sure that the hospital itself is investigated. I guess at this point, you know, it's this is still like an evolving story. Some media sources are reporting that Robin Lee himself has been called in by the regulatory body to answer for this case so yeah it's very interesting we'll see and I'm sure we'll see like some really interesting media pieces over the next couple of days not just about Baidu but about all these other big companies that are working in this health sector as well you know Alibaba has done several big data projects in the health sector and obviously yeah Baidu has an extensive interest in the healthcare sector so I think this is probably going to be I would say it will be one of the big, yeah, one of the big interesting investigation areas that come out of China in, in 2016. It's people looking a little bit closer at how these tech companies intersect with public s- systems like healthcare, mm. um, these these really important public systems. Mm.
0: Which will be something that we're going to watch out for. And I'm probably going to get you back to talk about Alibaba and some of the other big companies within China itself. So Kate, thank you so much for coming on the show. How do my no audience way, find you?
1: Well, first of all, you can obviously find us at techno.com. That's our English language blog from China. Or you can find me at at on Twitter, C-A-T-E-C-A-D-E-L-L. And yeah, that's um, those are my main social channels.
0: And you can find me at blyongc.bo or bernardleong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E, Asia. You can find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, and iTunes. And also recently now on Google Play too. And once again, Kate, many thanks for coming on the show and I look forward to speak to you again.
1: Cheers. Thanks very much, Bernard.